Kat. And I'm Kurt, and you're listening to Cat and Kurt's TV Review. Welcome to episode 189, The Pummeling That Needs to Occur. This week, we're discussing season six, episode 19 of Buffy, Seeing Red, and season three, episode nine of Battlestar Galactica, Unfinished Business. As always, we suggest you watch the episodes before you listen to the podcast. Also, if you haven't done so already, you may want to listen to our first podcast to get an idea of our methodology. All right. Buffy, seeing yes. red. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so that we should be able to talk about this one pretty quickly. Yeah, I don't think anything that important happens in either of these episodes. <laughs> They're not really that well done, you know. Yeah. Um, not much to talk about in general. You can kind of just skim over. We probably could have just skipped these all together and yep. picked up next week. Um, <laughs> obviously not true. Oh, we just. Um, let's not talk about the title just yet. Um, yeah, and, well... <laughs> But uh, I do have some production notes. Yes. So let's start with that. Um, actually, one main production note is that we finally get to see uh, Amber Benson in the credits. Um, and this is one of those Joss Whedon, you bastard moments, obviously, because yeah. I don't know if you remember this. Um, probably do because you have a better memory than I do. Anyway. But way back in the first episode of season one. Uh, Joss had wanted to do this with uh, Eric Balfour, who played right. yep. Xander's buddy, Jesse, who who uh, I think technically dies in the first episode, right, and gets turned into a vampire and then is dusted yep. in the second episode. Um, at the time, he didn't have enough money to, like, do a one-off opening credit for just, you know, a red shirt character mm-hmm. who wasn't going to last into the series. Um so he waits for six seasons and longer, uh, you know, to do it to a character that we all know and love. Yes, um, to a character that actually, like, matters in the long-term who, plan of the story. And, and yeah. I think, so I set this up for you last week a little bit, too, after we were done recording. I said, oh, we finally get Tara Benson, in, or Tara Benson, Amber Benson, <laughs> in, in the uh, opening credits and you're like, oh, well, that's fine. That's long, took long enough. Like she was in all of, or, you know, most of season four and all of season five. And here we are again, almost through season six. So, yeah. you know, the better part of three seasons and, and finally she's acknowledged as a regular. Yeah. Um, and of course I didn't want to spoil it by telling you what right. actually is going to happen this episode. Although I feel like you should have been prepared. Like my my pointing out of the fact that like well, she but, she was being added to the credits, but uh, you but you'll often uh, give me little non spoilery teasers that you know oh there's a fun fact for a given episode that kind of you know just sort of doesn't give anything away but like hints at you know some random piece of information to kind of yeah. set it up. Um, so. I mean, as far as the kind of, like, damn you, Whedon moment that this is, um, that, that borders on bad taste for me, I have to say, you know, um, it, I don't know for sure that it totally crosses the line, but 
worse we're, taste it's in than the conversation. Worse taste than some of the episode titles we came up with but didn't use. <laughs> <laughs> See, but the difference is that we thought about it and realized <laughs> realized that you know there there well, there is a line and yeah, yeah. um yeah. yeah and I think it's not it I I like the kind of like I don't have a problem with like the the narrative aspect of it of like pretend that somebody's gonna be you know like an important character and then they're not or that kind of thing like like I kind of almost it almost bothers me more from like a real world perspective of from like maybe thinking about it of like Amber Benson as an actor you know of like like oh geez you've had this actress on your show for three years she kind of should have been credited as a series regular for a chunk of that amount of time if not the majority of it and then to kind of like not that it would have been a surprise to her I'm sure they talked about it and told her what they were going to do and um you know they may have even have had her blessing to do it but like then to kind of like pretend like oh she's really back now and she's going to be you know even got promoted in a way um only yeah. to have it be this kind of like extra diegetic fake out moment oh it's just you know yeah like, um, there's a there's a slight aspect of it that like annoys me a little and, i'm a little annoyed by that um right like like cordy that's like cordy so the one thing that i would say and i don't know the details but that may like those credits and how people appear and all of that is so uh dictated by contract and sure like like i i forget at what point um you know uh uh, uh gosh what's her name willow uh starts appearing allison hannigan allison hannigan why, yeah. yeah why did i not remember that um like i know at one point like she starts appearing as like allison hannigan as willow like like right. even like that level of and like you know before uh you know he leaves anthony head as giles like like even right. that like specifying their character name versus just mentioning their uh uh you know their actual name in the credits and that kind of thing right. like that's all so dictated by the type of contract you have and whether you know yeah. had, had you know maybe i don't know if amber benson was on just sort of an episode to episode contract you would think by this point that she was signed up for the season but mm -hmm. then again maybe not like i don't know right like, like uh, right but then doesn't that tell you that they had to go out of their way to make this happen because oh yeah certainly well i mean i, I now i'm now uh, now I, she seems dead to me i don't know that she is so maybe she is going to be a series regular and like you know or maybe not no, no spoilers <laughs> for me you know i i i don't i've had i feel like i've been aware of bad things for tara as like a thing i've tried to avoid on the internet in general so like i you know I don't know specifics about if this is the end for her or not. Um, but, and I was surprised by like the end of the episode, like obviously it's shocking and I didn't, you know, expect 
that to happen. Oh, I, I got but, your text. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but on the other hand, I feel like I've had some sense of like Tara being maybe having some tragic aspect to her character. So I was maybe a little bit braced for something, yeah. you know, did, did um, you, Well, all right. So I won't. I I think all indication, given Willow's reaction, is that we're intended to believe that she dies, right? right. So, like, that's with that, what it seems like. Yeah, yeah. With that assumption, did you know or suspect or believe that Tara would make it through the rest of the series, for example? Um, or did you have any prior sense to this one one way or other? Right. Yeah. Like. So, right. You know, the kinds of. Um, you know, the kinds of articles people write where it's like the 10 saddest episodes of TV you've ever. And like, you'll see random screenshots. I feel like I've seen stuff like that, like with Tara attached to it. And it's like, OK, I won't look at it too closely or I won't click on the article, but I've seen things like that. Sure. So like I maybe wouldn't have expected it to happen right here, or right now, but like I was kind of a little bit braced for, you know, potentially a death. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, but at the same again, time, like... like we started the season with Buffy coming back to life. So again, you can have the saddest episode ever that then has, a, a reversal of some kind, you know? Um, so again, I still don't know for sure what, you know, the ultimate ending of her story is. Um, sure. Um, but, um, the other, know, and, and, and I think you can imagine sad episodes in which a character doesn't die too. So I kind of had maybe, some bad feelings and suspicions, but I yeah. tried to avoid like the particulars of, you know. Well, and, and did those episodes refer to maybe like when glory made her brain, sure. you know, whatever. Right. Um, right. Or when, or when Willow and Tara broke up, you know, so. Right. Um, right. Like, and like you said, like there are episodes that can be sad and not have yeah. her die. Right. And, right. and those would right. be two examples. <laughs> right. Um, right. But I feel like, it seems to me that I noticed a trend of connecting her character with like crying, <laughs> like like episodes that make you cry or episodes that are sad or emotional or whatever. Um, that sure. seemed to be um, a, a thing surrounding well, her character. So I, um, yeah. And I told you, I don't remember if I said this on the podcast, but I, I think I said to you that, uh, Tara's speech of, you know, things fall apart so hard is the second most, mm -hmm. you know, effective for me of the series. The, the first, of course, being Anya's in the body. Mm -hmm. um, and but it it's that it's that foreshadowing when you know what's coming, you yeah. know, in the next episode. Yes. And so that's. No, and I can see how retrospectively that plays out yeah way different than it than it does i mean it was a good speech but like sure 
it it didn't necessarily have me uh, reaching it's, for the tissue box on the first viewing, but maybe it's definitely back, one yeah. that in yeah. the rewatch has more meaning. Yeah, you know than than the first time through. Um, right. Right. Yeah. So, I, yeah. you know, I again, I don't know, like contractual reasons or or what else. I mean, I think we've seen that in subsequent seasons uh, to like the first couple, maybe, mm -hmm. um, you know, starting around season three, like we get much more tightly scripted seasons as seasons, like much mm -hmm. more of an arc or whatever. So like, I have no doubt that at the beginning that like maybe even back in season five, mm -hmm. Joss knew what was going to happen. Um, now remember he's not showrunner at this point, but mm -hmm he is still very involved in the story and, yeah. you know, at least approving those arc heavy mm -hmm. uh, things. Right. So, Certainly at an arc level, if mm -hmm. not necessarily, you know, running the room for writing individual scripts or whatever. Um, um, yeah. And, and, and so the, I guess that's the only, the we'll f I'll finish and then we'll move on to, you know, things in the episode but like, the actual story yes but like I, and i guess that's the bit of it that kind of i feel like it um i don't know at the expense of like tara's kind of place as a important person in the it, it kind of turns that into i don't want to say a joke but like like a clever like mean Whedon moment you know what I mean like of like like it's like he has these twists where bad things happen to characters and we all kind of shake our fist and say damn you Whedon but like that feels like a more self-conscious example of it of like like him kind of overtly and maybe it wasn't him maybe it was someone else's decision so I'm using that Whedon can mean whatever whoever the powers that be <laughs> to use that phrase are in a in this yeah. particular episode whoever Whedon represents as who you know who's making decisions like you're gonna bring her on just to toy with the audience you know mm -hmm. at, like at, I don't know it's just a little I don't know how I feel about like, yeah but it, I don't it, think that, Tara was ever meant to just toy with the audience. You know what I mean? Like I don't think her character no, as a whole not her, was that. No, I think it, it does a disservice to the character. Like I again, I think she should have been in those credits for a lot longer, you know. Um Sure. I mean and then I think obviously you lose the the twist of that, but and, I that wouldn't bother I would have rather they appreciated her in that overt way earlier on. Then, um, then add her in just to take her out. If that is indeed what is going to happen, which again I don't know for sure. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't have a. I, again, I don't know enough about the. Uh, you know. Right. Situation the and the contractual yeah, stuff. Yeah. So I, I can't necessarily uh, specify there, but yeah. I don't necessarily, I don't disagree with you. Like I think character wise and, and acting wise, you know, Tara and Amber like both deserved, you know, a better billing than they got 
until now in the series. But um, again, it it ultimately all comes down to that contractual and and whatever stuff and and the gag and that's you know mm-hmm. yeah I mean whether you like it or not like that is a a signature Whedon move um, sure at least this is one of those things that makes it a signature Whedon move. Um, sure. Yeah. And I guess maybe I feel like you still get that move just from the what's in the episode itself, just in terms of getting mm-hmm. getting Willow and Tara together only to pull them right. apart. I feel like accomplishes that without the kind of kicking when you're down of, right. you know. Well, it's uh, the same feel of, of Joyce getting better and then dying, yep. you know, two episodes later. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. No. And that I don't from like a narrative point of view, I don't object to that at all like that is the thing that he does and he's good at it and it's effective you know like it it hurts every single time that he does it you know and I think that's because he invests so much in the characters like it's not just you know I mean it's one thing when it's episode one and it's you know their friend who you don't really know that well but it Mm -hmm. when it's really effective is the ones that you've spent many years with and you know, it is that thing of I am a leaf on the wind. Just when things <laughs> look like they're they might turn around, you know, yeah. they they go, you know, yep. so much worse than they were, you know. You thought it was bad before, and now it gets really bad. Um, um so oh, anyway. Sorry. Uh yeah. I didn't actually intend to start with the ending but i guess we kind of more talked about the like yeah uh you know uh primary world stuff so to kind of talk about the secondary world um well so yeah let me just mention too so um this episode was written by steven s tonight who mm -hmm. we've talked about before um so he he came in uh, back in season five as a writer, um, he wrote, uh, blood ties. Um, and he wrote spiral, which is the, the last of the cabin episodes. Right. Um, and then, uh, in this season he, he's written, uh, all the way, which was the one with Dawn, right. Going Mm -hmm. out necking with the vampires. Um, was that was that a Halloween episode? I think it might have been, right? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It's like mischief night, kind of. Right, because like, and then like Spike's like, "Dude, we're supposed to stay in on Halloween. Why are you even messing?" Um, right. And then, um, uh, dead things uh, he wrote this season as well, um, which is uh, I'm trying to remember now actually. Uh, It's the one, um, well, we get some weird, disturbing sexual stuff between Buffy and Spike there, too. That's the one where, like, remember Buffy's, like, up watching, like, her friends mm. dancing and, like, she and Spike are having sex on the balcony of the Bronx. Mm. That kind of weird one. Um, I never mm. really thought about it that way, but uh, it's that it's that one where they have um, Warren's girlfriend and like they turn her into like yes. a sex slave and then Warren kills her. Right. So so yeah, so so Stephen Denight very weird. clearly a connection to this yeah. episode, yeah. Yeah, kind of I, I hadn't really thought about it in that way before, but that those are things. But um 
he'll go on to um, actually af- after this season, uh, he'll go on to write some Angel episodes as well. And then also has worked with um, Goss on Dollhouse um, and then took over uh, the first season of Daredevil, the Marvel Daredevil series on Netflix from um, Drew Goddard. So uh, has had some, I mean, that's a, that's a secondary sort of connection to Whedon just mm-hmm. through the Marvel universe, mm-hmm. but also, you know, Drew Goddard as well. Drew Goddard, um, right. But uh, yeah. So um, in general, I like, I think he's a good writer, but yeah, like now that I mentioned like those episodes that he's written, like definitely on sort of the darker or more disturbing yeah. side of things. Um, yeah. Yeah. So we'll, and we'll continue to see, uh, he also worked as like a story editor on a bunch of episodes um, previously uh, in, in Buffy. And then, you know, before he actually wrote, uh, you know, some of them like this one. So okay. um, you can kind of see his influence there. But, uh, we'll, and I'm we'll get sorry, to see did you bu- say this is his last episode of Buffy or does this he is, write more? This is his last episode of Buffy. Okay. Um, and then he'll, in, for the last two seasons of Angel, he switches over to that show. Gotcha. Um, so, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll get to see his stuff some more, but, um, yeah. yeah. Anyway, so just thought I'd mention that as well, since we're talking about some production stuff, because yeah. why not talk 20 minutes before actually getting to the story? <laughs> Nothing happens here anyway. Um, there's not <laughs> much to talk about. Uh, so yes. All right. Actual story. Um, Willow and Tara are together. Um, and boy, are they, uh, you know, they got together in, in, at the end of the last episode, Tara gave her, her famous, you know, uh, her speech and, um, Willow didn't really need a speech. She was sort of ready. Um, you know, but kind of like waits politely until Tara says, okay, I'm done. Like, let's, you 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 had me at things fall apart. (laughs) Yep. Yep. Um, so yeah, it kind of starts with them, you know, the next morning, very content, very happy, um, you know, uh, totally back together from what, you know, uh, from what we can tell. From from um, all indications, yeah. From all indications. And, um, uh, I like Dawn's, like, fangirl moment, you know, like, totally like the audience surrogate there of like, you know literally squeeing with joy you know um which you know given that michelle trachtenberg was a fan of the show before she acted on it like you can kind of see that um yeah yeah. like as a as a fairly authentic (laughs) yes reaction yeah yeah well yeah and and kind of just the the fact of her as like a teenage girl like Mm -hmm. you know this is like tumblr before there was tumblr you know of like you know, <laughs> sure. you know, people geeking out over the relationships and how happy and, and again, like that's, you know, some foreshadowing and ironic, you know, kind of setting you up for, you know, where the episode is going of, you know, um, you're, you're encouraged to feel like this isn't, it's not presented as like a tentative, okay, let's, let's give it a try and see where this goes. This is like a definitive. Nope. They are back together. They are both very happy about it. 
Right. It's, it's, it's official and it's, you know, you can celebrate like you have, you have the story's permission to celebrate this fact. Um, so, you know, all kind of leading you down a, a certain path. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, there's actually not too much more from them. I mean, they spend the episode, you know, together kind of all over each other and but also kind of just, doing their just a their, little bit. Just a little bit. Um, yeah, but and like, like doing like, their re- their research, but in the kind of old fashioned, they're hacking computers kind of way. And so right. there's this is them, you know, at their best, and uh, you know, and enjoying being back doing what they do best and everything. Yep. Um. Yeah. So okay, moving on to. Uh, the trio who just get worse and worse. Um, they uh, well, have, yeah. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Well, so we, we learn kind of what the, the next phase of the plan is. And there's a kind of, you kind of follow, there's a, you know, a, it's a multi-step process of, you know, they want to get these orbs that will turn, you know, them or really Warren, um, you know, invincible. Um, but in order to do that, they need to get through this kind of dangerous dimensional portal that, you know, will, you know, vaporize you. And so they have to catch a demon so that they can skin it so that they can use the suit to go get the orb. So there's this whole kind of to do, but like the kind of, the big, point the big takeaway is um that it's you know again warren calling the shots and it's andrew and jonathan doing all of the dangerous stuff you know it's like andrew has to be bait for the monsters and jonathan has to be the guinea pig who like gets pushed through the portal you know just in case it fries him and everything um you know and then warren gets uh his you know his orbs and doesn't share, you know, he kind of said, this is for us, but really, um, you know, it's just for him. And you pointed out the kind of suggestive aspects of the orbs before we started recording, you know, of like his, 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 you know, invincible manliness is powered by these like glowing testicles. Yes. (laughs) Um, yep. Quite literally. Um, um, and, and it, like, even to the, like, to the point of like, you know, Jonathan telling Buffy how to defeat him is to like smash his orbs, you know, like, yes. Like, and, yes. and, and I mean, that's the humorous part, but of course there's some not so humorous, uh, power dynamic, you know, mm-hmm. you know, between genders in this episode too. So it's, it's sort of all encompassed in that, um. Right. But yeah. Yeah. Right. There's a serious, I mean, there's the literal, there's like multiple levels to something like Smash's Orbs. There's like the literal level of like, okay, you have to break the, the magic, you know, the magic right. balls to, this, to stop him. These are the um, MacGuffin of the episode that, right, you know, right, are giving right. him the power. And then there's the kind of like humorous, slightly, you know, juvenile double entendre of that but then there's a third layer of like yeah like the gendered power dynamics of like how do you like if if warren is kind of like this 
toxic masculinity while Jonathan tells her to go right there, you know, and kind of emasculate him. And that's the only way to take him down is to like hit him where it's going to hurt and hit him right at the center of what it is that's giving him that, that power. And I mean, I, I know that there's, you know, different people give different advice as to what to do when you're being assaulted. And one, but that's not a bad one. (laughs) Yeah. One of those pieces of advice is, you know, go for the orbs and you know uh, that's if you're gonna stop a man quickly that's Mm -hmm. probably one of the best ways to do it speaking as a man (laughs) sure Um, well and again that has a physical meaning and there's a a more symbolic meaning there too you know so it, it works on you know many different levels i think um you know, and again, like continuing the stuff we've been talking about all season with what the, the geek trio sort of represent in terms mm-hmm. of this, you know, not just a not just toxic masculinity, but a particular strain of it. You know, this kind of right. like, um, you know, uh, slightly, um, I don't know. Uh, self-conscious not more than slightly self-conscious kind of emasculated notion of these guys who kind of just want power and dominance you know because they feel rejected or they feel you know not confident or whatever their reasons are Um, and and i mean there's definitely an escalation to it like you said um but there's also like like thinking back to like what was kind of their initial, you know, whiteboard plan, right? Like they're they're not so well thought out and sketched out. Like, you know, we want to become evil villains. Why? You know, money and girls. Like mm-hmm. those were like the things. That was, and it's kind of like as Warren becomes more and more disturbing and sort of pulls the other two along with him. Which is the way I see it. I mean, feel free to tell me if you see it a different way. But, um, you know, like as that sort of happens, um, like that still seems to be the plan. It's just like now it's like they're going to greater and greater lengths and kind of doing more and more uh, uh, despicable Mm -hmm. stuff, you know, to get there. well, right. And then it, it retroactively shows the continuity between those different levels of things. It kind of shows mm. how this is no different than that original whiteboard plan. It's just on a grander scale. And so what does that tell you about and like saying, oh, not as laughably like uh, like back then. It's like, what you know, these three geeks, what can they like? They're not actually right. going to be successful. But it's like, wait. They actually kind of have, like, yes, they've been foiled a lot, mm-hmm. but, like, they have, you know, reached a measure of success, if that's mm-hmm. what you want to call it, you know, in their right. goals. Um, right. Right. So, right. Yeah. And and it is easy to, you know, that seems like a fairly common thing for people in general to say they want, like, you know... If you asked, you know, 
if you polled the world and said like, what do you want in life? Like money and if not girls say like, whatever, you know, it could be girls or a relationship or, you know, whatever it is, you I, know, or sex think- or whatever. Um, but, but like, those are relatable enough goals in life. Um, but yeah. in a way, I think there are, sh- I was going to say, I think there are a few rap songs on that topic <laughs> or yeah, those right? topics, you know, however you look at it. Sure. But, yeah. Sure. And like, but at the end of the day, like, is this the logical end point of that as a, as a life goal, you know, sure. as an, as, as a, a way of, you know, as a pursuit in life, um, you know, if like, if taken to the logical extreme, you know, Mm -hmm. um, you know, so not just how far are you willing to go to get those things, but like, even just the kind of, you know, pursuit of them in a, in a dangerous way as to say, like, not that it wouldn't be nice to not to have to worry about money or nice to be in a relationship, but to say like, these are things that I am owed, you know, and therefore, you know, it's my goal in life to, you know, you know, achieve owning them. Right. Um, and that the kind of disturbing implications of that, you know? Um, yeah. So, yeah. Um, no, I mean, obviously we're not, done with them yet but i've i've kind of enjoyed watching the development of those characters and the way that they're slowly expanded and taken from like a very mundane relatable level to they're not really epic villains here but like they are kind of the big bad of the season you know and and are causing real harm on you know uh, a, you know, a really dangerous level. So they're certainly not, you know, the little bumbling fools that they started out. Um, right. Yeah. So. Um, yeah. And it's, and it's definitely more gradual than mm-hmm. I think any other season that we've seen. Right. Well, they start so early on, you know, there's no. True. There's no, every other season, I feel like we've had that moment of like baton passing where somebody sets up an even bigger villain. Whereas here we've seen one set of, you know, antagonists sort of grow, you know, rather than pass it on to somebody even worse, they just sort of become worse themselves. Um, which is interesting given that they're, they are the most sort of mundane human relatable ones. Um, yeah. You know, um, although on the other token, like they kind of go away at points too. Like we don't sure. see them yes. consistently throughout the episode or throughout the season. I mean, no, that's true. They're not there, you know, for, and, that, and I don't mean that to episode. like, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, disagree with anything you said like you're right like we definitely see them earlier and whatever it's just um yeah presumably that's when they're off like making their plans or like figuring out the spells they're going to use or whatever like and then they come back and it's like okay now we have this new and improved plan or whatever right Um, right so yeah right so yeah so i mean i think we'll come back to them 
in a few minutes, but um, they, they do get the orbs and Warren, you know, keeps them to himself to test them out and they go and like pick fights, you know, in a bar and, you know, and again, like the, the, the geek, you know, uh, I guess trope of, of Warren, you know, going after the old bully, you know, this is his mm-hmm. kind of revenge for the, the jock that used to beat him up. So, um, you know, he can feel big because he can't, you know, he can't be touched. He can't be hurt. Um, yeah. So, you know, and, uh, and there's the confrontation with Xander, but, you know, other than letting Xander know where they are, it doesn't, you know, lead to anything too much because Jonathan is there um, suggesting and, you know, trying to rein Warren in, in his, you know, in his own way. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, <laughs> um, how do we feel about Jonathan at this point? How do we feel about Jonathan? We feel, I feel like, um, or yeah, I should have said you, how do you feel? Well, I mean, we is fine too. There's like an audience, you know, mm-hmm. how are we supposed to feel is sort of, that's kind of what I was um, meaning. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I feel like um, uh, it's it's good, but not enough. Like, I feel like we're trending in a good direction. Um, Could he do more? Yes. Um, And might we expect him to do more? I think probably. Like, Buffy and the others have earned maybe more goodwill from him, you know, than he's... But, like... Is he completely without conscience? Absolutely not. He is, you know, he, I think he feels like he's stuck. He can't get out of this now because Warren will kill him, you know? Um, And, you know, there's an aspect of that that's sort of like, can you blame him? Like Warren might, you know, (laughs) like there's not too much you would put past Warren at this point. Um, So maybe he feels like he can do more good by keeping his head down, going through the motions, reining him in where he's able, and then getting out the other side when, you know, maybe he thinks after Warren has what he wants, Jonathan can just leave and get out of there. Um, Mm. Which he might be right, you know, even that's maybe a slightly spineless way to go about it. It's maybe not wrong. So, um, like that might be for his own, for his own safety, the smartest way to go about it. But, um, you know, he's still, uh, a, a little, he's still a little bit of the, you know, the weasel in him that isn't quite, you know, uh, up to putting himself in danger, really. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. How do you, how do you feel about Jonathan at this point? Yeah. No, I, I mean, I agree. Essentially, you know, it's too little, too late, right? So it's... Sure. He He's definitely having a conscience, but it's like, where was that conscience, you know, when all you were doing was, like, trying to force girls to sleep with you? <laughs> like, Right, sure. You know, um, yeah. Uh, you know, the other thing is, like... While while he is having con- like you're right like while he's having conscience he's not 
willing to sort of put himself at risk. And like, he's also not really aware of how much he's, uh, uh, I don't know what the word is, like telegraphing, I guess, to the others. Because sure, Warren and Andrew are both like, Totally ready to to, yeah, to yeah. use and then lose him you know like yeah. um they kind of see the writing on the wall and mm-hmm. like even maybe before jonathan totally does like it, it's not even clear to me that jonathan like you know we had the comment was it last week from andrew who's like oh it's that look like he had right before he told his mother on me you know mm-hmm. um right and like I kind of, I kind of wonder, does Jonathan even know that, like, he has such a, like, a tell? Like, is it, you know, like a (laughs) poker tell? Like, right, right. Like, is is he even aware of, like, what his own thoughts are? Like, maybe subconsciously that decision has already been made, but, like, maybe it hasn't worked its way up to actual conscious realization yet. And so while his friends who know him very well, especially, and like Warren, I mean, I guess Warren did go to their high school too. So maybe, maybe they all three knew each other in high school, but you get the sense that kind of like Andrew and Jonathan have a longer history together, just Mm -hmm. from those sorts of comments about when they were kids and stuff. So, um, you know, at least, at least to them, at least to like his best friend or, or a former best friend at this point, maybe, um, Mm -hmm. He, you know, he seems to be exhibiting these particular signs, but it's not clear to me how much Jonathan knows mm-hmm. about his own mind. Just maybe like it's disturbing and he doesn't want to be involved, but yeah, like he doesn't know what to do or, or doesn't know even if he's willing to do anything. So that by the time when he jumps on Buffy's back and you know, whispers into her ear about the orbs, like, like that could be as much of a surprise to him as it is sort of to Warren, right? Mm-hmm. At that point. So, mm-hmm. um, I don't No, Well, and, um, you know, maybe this is, you know, dumb or whatever, but like, I didn't necessarily get it at first even like so that kind of shows like i'm not necessarily expecting him to be the hero because when he kind of jumped on buffy's back until he said like you know yeah to smash his orbs i wasn't saying oh finally jonathan to the rescue it was kind of like another moment of oh these annoying you know guys keep coming at her from every like it it didn't register with me at first you know so i think that indicates that you're not you're not really holding your breath. You know, you might, you might kind of, we know how he feels. You're hoping he might step up, but I'm not necessarily counting on it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, I think it's, it's maybe too little too late, but it's something, you know? And, um, sure. you know, he, uh, he does kind of give Buffy what she needs, um, you know, to, to take it worn down in the end. So, yeah. But he still gets caught and he sent does. to jail. He does. Um, which, you know, I mean, he doesn't seem particularly happy about it, obviously, but like in some ways it might be kind of a relief of like, you know, 
Uh, yeah. It's out of my hands. I'm in a secure place surrounded by guards where Buffy and Warren and those people can't get to me, presumably. You know, mm. um, I mean, maybe they could, but he might feel even a little safer in there. Um, actually, I mean, we might as well just kind of finish with them. Um, sure. Because I want to, I want to, mention Andrew too um and you know obviously there's different stuff going on with him because he's reacting to Warren totally differently than Jonathan is he's not um he, he I mean he was disturbed at certain points but um he's over that um and you know at this point it's more about whatever you want to call his you know his admiration of Warren you know um you know, either there's, they're, they're, yeah. they're, they're getting closer towards confirming that there's, you know, like a sexual dynamic some, to that. Some, some latent feelings of some type. Yeah. Right. Right. Either, you know, and again, it's not totally clear to what extent he is aware of them himself or if he knows about them and he just doesn't want the others to know that could maybe be argued because um, we don't really get that much of it. Um, there's really, you know, little things here and there, but in particular, you know, the line about, you know, he never really loved hanging out with us. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, um, and so for however far you want to take that, he's drunk the Warren Kool-Aid at this point of like Warren is, you know, the guy. Um, and not just because he's afraid like Jonathan is. I think it's more something to do with like the lure of Warren himself, you know? Um, mm. And, you know, it, and it's that thing of it's Warren's manipulation of Jonathan versus Andrew, you know, cause it's the, the, the attraction of it is it's just you and me, you know, sure. like we're not going to include him. He's not cut out for this. He's obviously, gonna rat us out like you said like we can see it coming a mile away so we're gonna manipulate him to do what we need him and then it's just gonna be us and then we'll have you know the world to do whatever we want um so that seems to be what it is that's like distracting Andrew from whatever reservations he might have had because there like was a point where like he was he was you know disturbed i think when like they killed you know warren's ex-girlfriend but it mm. doesn't seem to have gotten to him to the extent that it's gotten to to jonathan um right you know and he's even like rooting for warren to kill buffy you know so yeah. it's like that's pretty vicious like it's not just oh i want to escape buffy it's like he's actually actively rooting for you know, her death. And that's, you know, that's no small thing. Yeah, definitely. Um, but, you know, Warren does leave him, so the feeling might not be totally mutual. <laughs> um, well, or at least... There's also an aspect of Andrew is a victim of his own incompetence. Um, 
Right, flying you know, and hitting flying. the ceiling. And, yeah, yeah, not not paying. Like if you have a jet pack and you're planning on using it, you might want to be careful of where you're standing. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe Warren wasn't intentionally leaving him behind. I mean, at least he had a jet pack, which Jonathan didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, but also maybe Warren's not too concerned about leaving right. him either. Like... <laughs> It wasn't well, intentional, it, but if it yeah. happens, it happens. Like, well, and it, it sets up an interesting scenario with Jonathan and Andrew in jail. With Jonathan, I think, hoping that they stay there <laughs> and that Warren doesn't come after them. And Andrew maybe hoping that Warren might come bust them out. So, um, you know, we'll have to see where it, which of those he, he chooses. Um, sure. So, yeah. Um, okay. Let's move on to, uh, all right, Xander and Anya, there's not too much to talk about with them. We get, um, you know, a scene, it's the follow up from the last episode. So everybody's still obviously rightly upset from that. Um, you know, Anya is you know, chatting with, you know, jilted women at the bar. And you kind of think she's going, still doing her wish thing of trying to get people to like make, you know, uh, you know, wish all sorts of curses on their lovers. But then it's not so much about that anymore. She really just wants to talk and vent and she keeps interrupting and doing a lot of the talking herself about, you know, men and what they've done and, you know, Mm -hmm. um, you know, the, the, the girl says, I wish Carl's flesh would. And then she like interrupts her and like, <laughs> right. doesn't. and then the cracks me up that the camera like cuts away in the middle of her rant. Like, you know, she's still talking and the scene like, cuts. That's enough. To, yeah. Yes. Like kind of just letting you know, this is what she's doing in the meantime. Um, you know? Yeah, no, she's obviously still bitter, but, um, also not doing kind of any, like she's not doing a good enough job of her, her new job either <laughs> in a way. So. Right. Right. Um, yeah. Right. Well, and the, and the, <clears throat> the fun of revenge, you know, is lessened after the events of the previous episode. Like she had her revenge, she had her vengeance mm. and that kind of sucks sure. too. So now it's sort of, you know, not that she's necessarily choosing. It's just that like, she kind of can't be bothered. <laughs> it's like, you might as well just vent about it because she's not putting any effort into like being the vengeance demon. Um, so. Um, yeah. Xander, we get, um, you know, a, a scene early on with him and Buffy, um, you know, kind of trying to sort of make amends, but they end up, you know, still kind of talking past each other and, um, you know, and, and fighting and everything. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I'm trying to think like of what important points there are from that. Um, um, I mean, for me, it's mostly, I just think, a reiteration of Xander's bitterness and 
the feeling of not being trusted because there's that. So, um, you know, for Xander, mm -hmm. you know, from his all about me sort of attitude that he has, <laughs> it's, um, you know, why didn't you tell me, you know, that you were having these problems, whatever they were like, yeah, you know, whether it's that you were hurting or that you were sleeping with Spike or that whatever. And like he says, like, I'm not saying I didn't make mistakes, but, you know, this guy, <laughs> remember, used to be like this evil demon mm -hmm. vampire guy who went around killing lots of people. And Xander's point, and... To Xander's credit, this is probably the most consistent point that he's made, like in the entire series, because if he hated one thing that Xander knows. Yeah, yeah, he's hated Angel, right? Yeah, and then he hated Spike and and all for like he's he's firmly in the anti-vampire camp. No matter, it yep. doesn't matter if you have a soul or a chip or whatever. Yeah, you know, um, for him, you know, no. There's no vampire that's a good vampire. And so, yep. like, he's, of all the characters, like, he's the only one who hasn't really forgotten that. And, you know, Buffy brings up, well, like, you know, you fought beside him when I was dead and this and that. And, like, you know, Xander's still like, yes, but I never forgot what he was. And he's sort of, and he's not sort of, he's accusing Buffy of having done that. Mm -hmm. um, but Buffy's point Two is kind of a slap in the face to him of, you know, what I do with my personal life is none of your business. And Xander's mm -hmm. like, yeah, but it used to be like, we, like we used to be that good of friends that mm -hmm. your personal life was my business. Not in a, I mean, obviously he wanted to date Buffy at one point. So, mm -hmm. you know, like there's that aspect of it, but like, like we're long past that. And, right. you know, just in that sense of like, like, the three of us, you know, mm -hmm. Willow and Xander and Buffy, like, we're such good friends that, yes, like, when the things that you were doing, the hurts that you were facing and all of that were my business at one point. And so, like, in a sense, this is sort of a callback to season four, too, right? Mm -hmm. Of when Buffy and Willow sort of went to college, but then Willow was kind of investigating her new relationship with Tara and mm -hmm. like, you know, there was all the drifting apart. And then the end of the season was them coming back together. And, you know, mm -hmm. you have like the different elements and mm -hmm. stuff like that of, and, you know, her fighting uh, uh, Adam there at the end, but yeah. um, like they've drifted apart again, but sort of in a different way in that, mm -hmm. like, like, they're still, like, I mean, Xander doesn't live with them, but, like, you know, Buffy and Willow are living, you know, in the same house now, and, like, mm -hmm. they still see each other all the time, but there's an emotional distance, you know, yeah, right. which Buffy points out is, part, you know, the the difficulties that she had in returning to life after being in heaven or, you know, whatever. And so... 
Xander's point was that like, yeah, but like something like that, like we would have talked about in the past. We would have yeah. like, you would have felt like you could trust me with that sort of thing. And now you didn't. And that's, that seems to hurt him even more than the like mm-hmm. sleeping with Spike. Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah, I mean, I feel like I'm sort of rambling at this point and, and maybe saying the same thing over, but um, I think those are like the big takeaways for me from that whole discussion. Um, sure. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Um, and uh, I think you can also see that still, maybe there's not as much bitterness, but there's still that separation, you know, evident like with with uh Buffy in this episode um not telling still not telling Willow stuff like Willow's mm. you know surprised by what I mean she kind of knew something was going on with Spike but like Tara she's totally shocked by what Tara tells her and she has that like look on her face um and um yeah so the fact that like you know Buffy didn't tell her that but then it, at the end you know, after when they, when Xander and Willow both find Buffy in the bathroom, um, you know, it's obvious to Xander what happened and, and he sees what happened before Buffy can really hide it. But by the time Willow gets there, Buffy's, Buffy's covering it up, you know, and she's like, you know, covering up her bruises and saying nothing happened. Mm. You know, what have you found out? Let's talk about something else. So she hasn't, you know, she's not still not coming out and saying like, you know, which I mean, does, you know, does someone in that situation have to tell people immediately what that? No, of course not. But like, sure. But I do think there's an element of where like you're still seeing between the three of them, if they're like the core Scoobies, there is this emotional distance where all season and continuing into this episode, they haven't been sharing their most intimate struggles with each other um, until, until they can't hide them anymore until it's too late. And, and any, any hope they might have offered earlier is, you know, it's, it's past the point of, you know, being where they could have helped prevent it in the first place. Um, Right. Right. Are you really being forthcoming Right. If if you wait until people already figure it out on their own anyway. Right. And what, what support can people offer if you're not upfront about your struggles with the people closest to you? So like, and it's all of them, whether it's Buffy with um, her, you know, just being alive and then the, the stuff with Spike. It's Xander with his marriage and his like, you know, his worries about that, that kind of, again came to a culmination in an awkward way that, you know, maybe the others could have helped him talk through what it is that he wanted. Um, And then Willow with like her magic addiction earlier in the season, like Mm. all of these are things that they kind of kept to themselves, maybe out of self-denial, but they didn't share it with the others. And then, so you're seeing kind of the, destructive effects of them um sure so yeah all right i'm conscious of our time so i'm moving on 
to uh, Spike and Buffy stuff. Um, mm. There's a little scene with Dawn and Spike. Um, and, you mm -hmm. know, I mean, I think the big thing with Dawn is you see a couple times her disappointment at the idea of Spike not being around anymore. And, you know, like not just from a, like she is angry that Spike hurt Buffy, but from a more personal point of view, she just seems disappointed at Spike not being one of the team. Like, you know, he's sure. become something else to her, you know? Um, like, you know, I don't know. Father figure is taking it too far, but some sort of, he's one of the Scoobies to her, I think. And one of the grownups that she trusts and, you know, relies on and everything. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, for him to kind of step back actually means something to Dawn. Um, you know, but she does, that's not to say she's totally selfish about it because she does go and kind of tell him, you know, how much he, you know, hurt Buffy and everything. So she is at least thinking about her sister. Sure. And she's trying to process it too, mm -hmm. just from a, you know, if you love her, then how can you yeah. do something like this to her? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, it's definitely, like, I think it's just that, you know, any, like, you know, Dawn, you know, ignoring the whole that she's only a year and a half old at this point, right, technically, <laughs> um, like, her parents are divorced, but I kind of, like, there's also, like, a sense of that same kind of thing going on here, like, yeah. You know, if you love each other, why can't you be together? And, Work it out, yeah. You know, like you said, like, it's not quite that Spike is a father figure or whatever, but, you know, there's definitely a closeness there. And, like, there's been times where he's looked, like, like they've always had sort of a rapport, mm -hmm. you know, together. Um, even thinking of, like, when she broke out and like he went with her to like the magic box and, you know, mm -hmm. they summoned that snake thing together and, mm -hmm. you know, um, like those types of, of things like, or, or when like Spike has been the one to be around to watch Dawn, like, mm -hmm. you know, because he can protect her and, you know, that kind of thing. So, um, they've had sort of a, you know, Dawn's not Buffy with her own sort of superpower. She does need protecting in a way, you know, yeah. as a kid and also as someone just as a person without superpowers. Like, mm -hmm. and Spike has kind of been that. It, it's kind of funny because like, even like in cases like, like it's sometimes where it's like, well, Spike isn't good enough to help us, but like, he's good enough to watch like this super vulnerable like person sure. who like, you know, can't, so it's just like, it's kind of like that weird thing of like, in some sense, he's like not important enough to help out. But in the other sense, like he's helping out by doing the most important thing, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, so kind of that weird dichotomy 
there. No, um, and there's a there's a contradiction there, which is why Buffy points that out with Xander. Like when she says, like, you worked with him and you let him watch Dawn. Like she's kind of saying it's not just me that's trusted him with really important things. Right. Um, you know, and that doesn't mean that Xander forgot what he was, like he said, but it does mean that they have given Spike a lot of, you know, responsibility um, mm. and shown him a lot of trust, um, you know, and the fact that Dawn clearly trusts him and values him that much, I think kind of shows that. Um, sure. So, yeah. So moving on to the scene in the bathroom. Mm. Uh, which I don't know if you want to preface that with anything. I think you said this is potentially, you know, the most controversial yeah, scene that the series ever did or one of them. Yeah, certainly one of the most controversial. Um, and I mean, I think many people would argue that it is the most controversial scene in the series as far as just the portrayal and implications and, mm -hmm. and not, I mean, not even is like not metaphorical either. Like no. he pretty right. much tries to rape her and yep. um, yeah. Like, I mean, there's no, like, right. you, you can't like sugarcoat it in any way. Um, no, no. So and I had I had mentioned um, to you that I actually had forgotten that this scene occurs in this episode. Um, obviously, so it's one of those scenes that once you see it, like you don't forget it. Um, yeah, yeah. But uh, I had remembered this episode more for the ending, of, you know, with Tara and and Buffy both being shot mm -hmm. uh, than right. than for this scene um, and you know, perhaps shame on me for not remembering it, but, um, yeah, I don't, I mean, it's disturb. like, there's no, no way to say it other than it's just a disturbing scene. Um, mm -hmm. partly um, for, well, um, go, yeah. Why don't you tell me what you think? And then, I'll, no, no, I mean, you can finish your thought. I, I was just say like, even from like, I'm not, you know me, I'm not as good at picking out sort of like the, some of the more visual aspects or, or technique, you know, aspects of, of filming and, and that. Um, but even just the way it's shot, like, like that overhead mm -hmm. sort of shot of like, and, you know, Buffy and Spike, you know, on the floor and kind of scrambling and fighting and, you know, mm -hmm. whatever. Um, yeah, like there's no music or anything. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, also, you know, Buffy's hurt, right? Like she's hurt mm -hmm. earlier from you know fighting with vampires, or at least not at the top of her right. physical ability. So there's like th that aspect too, and a reminder that you know Spike is actually pretty strong. Like we don't see him. Mm -hmm fighting i mean we see him fighting here and there but like it's like against other vampires and you know whatever but like when buffy is weakened like he's kind of overpowering her here mm -hmm. and and just that thing of like how strong he actually can be but then also that like 
you forget, I think, or at least it, it's possible that people forget by this point that Spike can hurt Buffy. Like, mm-hmm. his chip, for whatever reason, since she That's came right. back, yeah. Yeah. doesn't doesn't affect like he he can hurt her without it affecting him and so right you know i think sort of all of those things sort of dawning on you and and the way it shot and like you said like the lack of music um yeah it, again always it, it always reminds me of that one line from the insidious dr fu manchu which is kind of a ridiculous book in and of itself but um there's that one line of like you know there is no incidental music to the drama of real life and mm-hmm. it's just like that those moments where like it does become starker because of that when you know you're used to having those sort of like incidental background noises and, right. and themes playing and whatnot um, right and it's right. Not like here. you said there's no metaphorical layer it's there's no like fantasy level in which you're reading about real emotions it's right. like just the it's not it's yeah. not like magical orbs, you know, as replacements right. for testicles. It's right, right. This is Spike trying to force himself on Buffy, and right, right. Like there's, yeah, I don't know. I mean, so yeah, I'm sort of fumbling around, but yeah, what are your, your thoughts? Well, it. Um, I'd be curious to hear, like. Um, I mean, I think I could guess, but I would guess in a couple different directions, like what exactly is controversial in quotes about it, because it seems to me like um, it actually kind of reminds me of what they're doing with the trio, where this is, to me, a kind of logical extension or endpoint from like a lot of stuff that we've seen that like, you know, stuff that you laughed off earlier in the season or, or a year ago or whatever about Spike um, having a crush on Buffy and then Spike having, you know, you know, lusting after Buffy and then eventually saying that he loves Buffy. Um, And then that turning into, well, if she says she doesn't love me, she must be wrong. Like, clearly that can't be the case, you know? And so therefore I have to like, not just prove my love, but convince her that she loves Mm. me and we should be together. And then his stuff in here about, um, uh, you know, like uh, getting over the, the, schmaltzy ideas of love that real love is is wild and passionate and dangerous and all these ideas of what love Mm. means to him and that it's about you know uh you know the the kind of the well dangerous like he says and the fact that it's destructive and the fact that earlier in the series season when they got together for the first time they were like throwing each other around a house as it crumbled around them. Like that's Spike's idea of, of the real, of real love is something that consumes them and is destructive and, 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 you know, and um, even way back to a couple seasons ago where, you know, I, I maybe loves bitch, but at least I'm man enough to admit it. Right. Like, like this is like, this is like a true man just admits it. And, you know, right. Right. You know, dives in head first kind of thing. Right. Whether and the woman it, it wants it or be, not. <laughs> and that it should be a little bit out of control. That like sure. if you're a slave to love, you don't have a choice. You're like, you know, 
you're a slave to its whims and its passions and you have no choice but to obey. And yeah. Um, And therefore we're not responsible for our choices or our actions, you know? Mm. Um, So like, again, like I think like with the, with the geeks, you can see that the seeds of that are there and this is the logical you know, extreme extension of those ideas of like what that means is that all that matters is how he feels and doing what feels good and feels justified in the moment and him feeling justified in forcing her to do what he wants as a way of proving something to her. Like Mm. once, once we, you know, do the thing, you'll, you'll be convinced, you know, and, and you'll understand and everything. Um, you know, and if you're, and if you deny me, then you, well, you're lying. You're being unauthentic to your true self or whatever. Like you can't really mean no, Mm -hmm. um, you know, and it must be that you're kind of self deluded and everything. Um, so yeah, that's the kind of, so, um, so I guess my question is in terms of controversy, is it, the depiction of a scene like this at all is it the fact that it's spike um and that is it people feel like it's inappropriate for his character um is it both um you know yeah not I, not quite uh not I totally think, sure but i think it's the depiction just in general like gotcha because even with i mean it's pretty thin at times but mm-hmm. even with the trio, there's a, at least still some level of metaphor, right? Mm-hmm. Like, uh, yeah. you know, like with their, well, with their other orb, right, that they use to, like, seduce, if that's the right word, probably not, uh, Katrina. Mm-hmm. It's like, kind of like a, a date rape drug, but not really because it's magic. You know what I mean? Like, right. and this, this, I think, it like, part of that is like even that thin veneer of metaphor is not Mm -hmm. even present. Like it's just Mm -hmm. straight up Mm -hmm. Spike tries to rape her. And had she not been strong enough, you know, Mm -hmm. able to muster enough power there, like that's, you know, who knows what would have happened, you know? I mean, we can guess pretty, pretty clear. Um, and and so in I hadn't I haven't listened to the DVD commentary, but apparently in the commentary James Marsters um does say that he he feels like this was the hardest scene, or at least one of the hardest scenes he ever had to do. Mm-hmm. Um and and never wanted to do it um again. Um Jane Espenson, I guess, has defended it. Um and kind of similar to what I think even you were saying, like that that there is a progression here for Spike's character and it has implications for his character later, which obviously I won't mention now, but like, um, yeah, I, you know, I think even, so, so here's the question, like, you know, they're, you know, moving on to the scene with him and Clem afterwards, Mm -hmm. like, he seems to feel some kind of remorse and not that that maybe remorse isn't the right word. He feels 
something. Well, okay. What do you see in that scene with him and Clem? Maybe I'm maybe I'm being too prescriptive with it. Like, I I feel like um, it takes a very quick turn away from remorse into like blaming, and then more domination talk, like you know, his, his, the first kind of thing is like, so he does seem haunted by it. He's thinking about it. it. He can't, you know, it's kind of the way it's shot. It's like, you see that he's replaying it and he's clearly disturbed by it. It's not like he goes away, like laughing to himself. Like, obviously he's disturbed, but when he starts like talking about it, like to Clement stuff, like, um, you know, he says, what did I do? But then immediately it switches to what has she done to me? And then after that, it's all a lot of stuff about the chip and how it's all the chip's fault and it won't let me be a real man, but it won't let me be a real monster either. And I'm stuck in this uncomfortable in-between place and can't fully be either one. And mm. so, you know, the, the, the solution is the chip's got to go. Um, and then whatever he is, he can be that and embrace it um you know that's what it sounded like to me like i didn't i feel like he took the wrong lesson from what happened um from what i can tell although obviously there's more to come um but you know those seem that seemed to me more so than his remorse seemed to be the kind of still placing the blame on Buffy as she, what she's, she's bewitched me somehow. She's influencing me in ways I don't like. And then, you know, and then the chip, which prevents me from really like, you know, like, so even then when he rides off and his line is when I get back, things are going to change. Like, what does that mean? That sounds like a threat, you know, like, Mm. um, like, I don't think that means I'm going to come back a changed man and and be all, like, you know, looking for reconciliation. That sounded like he's going to come back a full vampire um, and not going to have to bother with all these silly human morality rules and everything. Um, sure. I don't know that, but that's that was my interpretation when I saw it. So, um, fair enough. Do you disagree? Does that, does it spoil anything to say if your interpretation is the same as mine or? Yeah. Well, I was, I didn't mean to imply that like, he's completely like regretful and whatever. Like, I think you're right to point out that, uh, he does kind of turn it back on her and, and then like blames it. Like he's, He's definitely looking for something to blame other than himself. But Mm -hmm. I think part of that, part of his desire to find something to blame other than himself is because he knows he was wrong. Sure. And so, so that's like, like I said, like, I don't, like, he's not running off to go beg forgiveness of Buffy, which would be stupid to do at this point anyway. But like, I do feel like that's true. He's not like triumphant about it of, Oh, ha, this was my plan all along. And you know, right. Um, Um, yeah, but he certainly feels disturbed. Yeah. And so whether, yeah, how he reacts to that, like 
so yeah, so he's talking about the chip and it needs to go and whatever. Like there's, yeah, like what what happens then? And like, so the question becomes like, if he does get this chip out, how does that actually like? Does that change? Because like, the chip is only inhibiting him from hurting people, mm-hmm. but again, he can hurt Buffy. And yet, sure. for the most part, until now, he hasn't been. So, like, to, will at this point removing the chip actually do anything? Or has he become so tuned to the habit mm-hmm. of not hurting people? Like, is that going to, you know, affect him in some way, too? Sure. And And is morality you know, by rote, truly morality, (laughs) you know, just like, you know, the more is, is habitual morality, you know, true morality, if that's what it ends up being. Right. Like I'm good just because I've always been taught that it's right to do these certain things. Like, is that actually moral or is that just, you know, some kind of interest. Yeah. uh, Yeah. Or, self-absolution from any sort of responsibility like you're not you know you're not responsible for things because you're just doing what people have told you all along and then you know in this case it's the chip you know you're following what the chip has programmed in you and does removing the chip change that programming or not right spike seems to think so we, I mean, I think we're led to think that that will be the case, but mm-hmm. things don't always happen the way we're led to believe them to happen. This is a good point. So, um, yeah. Um, so, yeah, he rides off to uh, go, uh, you know. Some, to go somewhere. We don't know where yet. To do, to do something. So. It's not the first time that he's sort of ridden off into the night. No, this is true. Yes. Um, or even into the daylight. Right. <laughs> With his, like, cardboard over his windshield and everything. Um, <laughs> yeah, the blacked out windows. Yes. <laughs> um. All right. So we kind of talked about Buffy versus Warren and the arrest. So I think we can skip over that and talk about the ending. And there's another another connection between Spike and Warren that just occurred to me, which is that, like you said, there's no um metaphorical layer to spike's act of violence neither is there a metaphorical layer to warren's act of violence at the end there's not even a magical layer like he literally shoots them with a gun um which again i feel like guns are fairly rare in buffy i feel like maybe similar to doctor who like there's a especially yeah there's a well there's such a a scarcity of them that when they're used mm-hmm. you kind of sit up and take notice because more often you get magic or you get a, a you know kind of pseudo sci-fi sort of weapon so when someone just like straight straight up shoots somebody else it's usually like a big deal and obviously this is a big deal but that makes it land even more um mm-hmm. you know the moment where you take away the magic and the metaphor and suddenly it's just regular human violence of the Mm. sort that unfortunately happens all the time. Um, 
you know, so, uh, yeah, you know, just adding to the kind of visceral feeling of this episode, I think. Yeah. Um, I was just going to say, yeah, like, especially since we, you know, since the initiative is done, right? Like, <coughs> yeah, I don't, I don't think, I don't think we've seen too many, except unless maybe we saw some when Riley came back. <coughs> right. Um, Sorry, I just choked on my tea. Um, yeah. Yeah, well, that's a good point. And, like, even with the initiative, like, like, okay, they're this sort of demon-hunting military outfit. Like, the guns are kind of part of the, you know, the paraphernalia that they carry. But to have someone just, like, have a handgun and, like, attack another, you know, civilian in broad daylight in a neighborhood, like, even that has, like, a slightly different feel to it than, like, mm -hmm. black ops, military guys. Um, so, yeah, um, definitely surprising and shocking that he just sort of runs in and you know he got his uh his little butt kicked and is you know feeling you know bad about himself and so he comes in and just you know sprays bullets um kind of towards Buffy but sort of just wherever the gun happens to be pointed he's not really yeah. discriminating I mean, too much um he, right he shoots and then just sort of runs away right yeah. so it's like and that's where he sort of turns and points it upward. Right, right. So Xander falls. So you're kind of, you think it's Xander that gets hit. Um, <clears throat> only to find that uh, he wasn't. Xander's fine. Um, it's Buffy and Tara. Um, you know, so Tara, again, like we said, seems like she's down and out. She seems pretty dead at that point. Um, Buffy isn't she's not quite dead um but like even with Buffy I feel like obviously there's a bookend here with the season of it starts with you know Buffy being brought back from the dead and now she's kind of not looking too good but um I I have to hope and think that she can be saved or I don't know if she should be brought back that didn't really go so well last time but um I don't know. I mean, she's, she's you know, not, there's you know, there's another season of the it's show. called Buffy the Vampire Slayer and everything. So, um, we're back to that narrative collapse idea where like things without which the show cannot function, and Buffy is one of them. Um, so, yeah, and uh, and then finally Willow sees red, so she has her. You know, we've seen her eyes go you know, black before, but now they're this kind of disturbing, you know, blood red color. And, uh, yeah, you know, the magic is still in her, whether she likes it or not. So it's looks like it's coming back in a big way. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, sudden, just as we finish up here, sudden kind of resurgence of that Willow part of the story, like of, okay, we're, we've, 
we've kind of put that on the back burner of like Willow hasn't been using magic for a while now and we've more been dealing with like Buffy's issues and Xander's issues and just when it again just when it looks like Willow is in a happy place Tara is shot and you know the, the magic seemingly just of its own will comes back you know from inside her and everything it's that you know just when I thought I was out yes they pulled me back in right right yeah yeah and I mean Willow's done so much to control and suppress her magic uh obsession addiction whatever you want to call it um yeah that the one thing that would bring her back at this point is of course the reason that she had been working so hard to suppress it in the first place which Mm -hmm. is Tara. yeah um so we'll see how well that goes (laughs) for yeah the trio um or at least warren although we don't actually i guess we don't know that she knows that it's warren oops did i just inadvertently spoil something well, so, I mean, this is probably the most obvious thing ever, so I probably don't get brownie points, but my my guess is that Willow will use magic to save Buffy, and then Buffy will tell her what happened, and then everybody's going to be on the same page. That's my, that's, that's my guess. That's where it seems like, you know, okay. things will, will pick up. Where it goes from there... Um, I don't know, but uh, yeah, I think that's that's Buffy's that's Buffy's ticket um, out of death for a second time is is Willow's return to magic. Third, third time. Third time. That's true. Yes. Not to you know put too fine a point on it. No, no. You should always correct me when I get the <laughs> yeah the facts wrong. Um, <laughs> Okay, so yeah, I yeah. mean, we'll we'll see. We've gone a little bit over, so yeah. Um, don't well, good thing the BSG episode is a pretty <laughs> simple. So yeah, it's a shorter episode than normal. Right? Yeah, I know it's like kind of not that long, oh, not that complicated. Wait, the other not way that around. many characters, you know? No, just a few. Just a few. Um, so yeah, BSG. Holy cow! Um, yeah. So, all right. Um, you had some production notes, I think. I Did do. Did you want to start gonna, with? I'm going to zip through them as quickly as I can. Um, so, yeah, you mentioned that this is an extended episode. Um, they uh, kind of wanted to point out the writer, similar to how you did. This is actually a new writer for the series, um, Michael Taylor, um, who was a well-known Star Trek writer. And then he goes on after all the BSG stuff, he goes on to write for some other shows like defiance and turn, um, the, the Washington spies that show. Um, he, um, so he, which is a thing. Um, he is, (laughs) I trust trust you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, it's actually not that good, but, um, I haven't anyway, uh, Anyway, uh, what was I saying? All right, so he comes on as like a writer slash producer for 
episode for seasons three and four of BSG. So he'll be here for the rest of the series um, and writes six episodes. So like, you yeah. know, three, three per season, you know, so fairly significant contribution. Yeah. Um, and then he actually goes on. Um, he will write Razor when we get to that. Um, he creates and writes the Blood and Chrome um, like prequel okay. series. And he writes a, a few episodes of Caprica, the spinoff. So, um, so not just big in BSG, but a big name in all of that spinoff material too. Like he's, you know, heavily involved in everything. So, you know, somebody to keep our eye on. Um, I mean, when things are going well, I guess, right? Yeah. Well, and, and uh, it seems like he's well received because this uh, script was nominated for a Nebula award. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think, uh, this, you know, is an interesting debut for him. And obviously he's a significant voice. Um, and I also, so from like a production point of view, I wanted to point out that um, they actually shot all of the flashback stuff for this episode back with the new Caprica episodes. So like earlier in the season, mm. they knew they were going to be doing this script. And so all of those things were shot however long ago, whenever they did you know, occupation and precipice and all those other things. Um, sure. So, I mean, I think uh, uh, that gives you a you know fair amount of advantages. There's like a purely practical thing of okay, we don't have to rebuild the sets. Everybody's like hair and everything is the same length, so we can we don't have mm -hmm. to like redo or we don't like have to use wigs or do any of that. So like, it gives kind of visual continuity. Um, and saves money, I'm sure. Um, but also, I feel like it creates a real sense of distance and real time for the actors that, like, they were, since it was shot out of sync, I, I have to imagine that it makes it easier for them to sort of plug in their emotional states a little bit easier to say, okay, here's where I am when I'm on New Caprica. And here's where I am so many months after that, after everything that's happened. Um, and, sure. you know, and, and it just gives an interesting kind of, I guess, like realism to it. Whereas like normally when you shoot flashbacks, it's obvious that the stuff is shot out of sequence, which is fine because that's a convention and you know it and it's not a big deal. Right. But that still doesn't, that doesn't mean that it's not nice to do it this way if you can. Like, um, like uh, you know. Young Ty and Young Ty. It's really out of sequence. Gone back 30 years and shot that scene. Yeah. That would have been so much better. But like, I mean, obviously this wouldn't have been that bad. But like, just think of like, okay, we have to make Starbucks hair long or we have to put a fake mustache on Adama or we have, we tore down those sets. So we have to do like cheap little versions of the sets so that they kind of look like the real thing, but you can tell that they're not. Mm. Um, all that stuff, it just makes it easier. And I feel like that comes across like with the performances too, of like they feel like genuinely they're taking place across two different timelines. Um, so yeah. Um, and like, so last note too is, I didn't like record any like data on this, but like, I feel like this is a fairly polarizing episode. Like I've seen this listed of like among people's favorites and people's least favorites too. So it, it, sure. it either kind of, it's obviously bold 
So it either kind of works for you or it doesn't, I think. Um, and we can talk about the reasons why, I guess, but. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, all right. All that said, mm -hmm. from the story perspective, um, so I wanted to talk about the whole concept of the dance first mm -hmm. before we kind of get in the character stuff. Um, and just this idea that, like, there's this, uh, you know, release valve, so to speak, on the emotional pulse of this ship. Um, yeah. And uh, the way Adama describes it, so, like, you, you know, you get this, I don't even remember, I mean, it's fairly early on, but it's not like the first scene. You get um, Adama, you know, by the side of the ring, and Rosalind finds her way to him, and... She's like, oh, yeah, thanks for telling me this was going on. Um, <laughs> nobody seemed to. And and it's like, it's when it's like, I guess, supposed to be a secret thing that isn't really that big. Like, everybody knows about it mm -hmm. who is, like, a military person. But if you're not a military person, like, you've never heard of this thing before. Um, mm -hmm. And so Adama, you know, sort of says, well, it's a like a private tradition. Mm -hmm. Um there's a lot of frustration about aboard warships. Arguments become grudges and end up being feuds. This allows them to let off some steam out in the open so everyone can participate. Uh, rank doesn't matter. As long as you throw your tags in the box, everyone's fair game. And you get the sense that, like, everyone throws their tags in the box. Like, it's not just, like, like right. everyone wants a chance to, like, get a grudge out. Even though, in some cases, it seems some people are surprised about who might have a grudge against them. Mm -hmm. Um or the reasons behind the grudge or whatever. So mm -hmm. um, I just thought that was kind of interesting. Actually, my dad was in the Navy and um, boxed. Um, <laughs> I don't know if it was ever like this sort of thing, though. <laughs> right, um, I right. Didn't, like, he, is that how prominent is that? Or like, how common is that? Other than knowing that that he did that, um, I, don't, I don't actually know, you know, what, uh, like, you know what context you know any other kind like he never told stories about it it's just like yeah i boxed in the navy like yeah that, that yeah. was it <laughs> um but yeah like i mean i could totally see this being sort of a uh you know thing that just mm -hmm. happens and and that yeah like there is you know sort of a like it you know having a sanctioned way to sort of let people get their frustration out um, is obviously better than letting that build to a point where you have like maybe deck cans swinging monkey wrenches at each other, you know, mm -hmm. in, and ending up hurting people. And I mean, let's be fair. It's not like it's the first time, like we've seen Starbuck punch people or vice versa, sure, um, you know, right. before. So it's not like it, completely resolves every <laughs> issue right, uh right. but it you know maybe maybe as a formalized or you know formalized might not be the right word like semi-formalized process like that it yeah, yeah. Um, at least like keeps that to a minimum um right well and i feel like the impression that i get is that this might be a tradition in the sense that people know about it and, and it's a thing that we've been doing for a while and is ongoing but I, the, without them saying it, the impression I have is that um, they've gone a little nuts for it 
recently that like maybe this is a kind of thing of every so often like when it seems like tension is building we 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 have a dance and we let people do their thing and then we put it away for a while and you know in, in a year we'll do it again and see on a need as a need as needed basis whereas like sure the the impression I have is that I don't know how long the dance has been going on maybe it was just the one day but like there's this like frenzy for the dance that like everybody's there um like and it's like you know it starts with d kind of saying to adama like people aren't making their deadlines and they're not doing their work because they're all at the dance and adama's like ah oh, that's fine let's go to the dance like you know like right right it, like it's and it, you know and you have to think it's because of all of the again all of the new caprica stuff that there's a lot of grudges to be worked out and sure they've all kind of gone a little, maybe a little more out of control than clearly this gets more out of control than it normally would. Yeah. I think. Um, um, if only they had done this before, like the airlock executions. Exactly. Like, <laughs> yes. Right. Uh, might have might have saved a couple of lives there. They could have um, just punched Jammer. <laughs> right. Yeah. If, of, right. Yeah. If Callie could have just gotten that ring and like hauled off yep. on Jammer, like yep. that might have been a much Would've better. Saved a lot of lives. Um, uh, well, and so I wanted to bring that up too. Like just the idea of the dance in general. Um, it does continue that theme of the the not quite healed, you know, wounds from New Caprica that are still being you know, taken care of. And then again, the grudges between in particular, the people on the ground versus the people on the air. And like, it doesn't all explicitly come to that, but it, you know, it is kind of grounders versus, you know, like, yes, it's, except it's, for Hilo and Lee. Sure. Well, that's true. That's true. And not exclusively. Um, it's I not, mean, yeah. And yeah, and I wasn't which, necessarily saying that's the which, only thing that's going on. So, so no, but I'm glad you brought that up because I think you're right. Like that, there is, for the most part, at least the ones we see, because Cat fights someone at one point too, and I don't right, know but we that don't really saw, know who it is. Okay, yeah, and there's maybe uh -huh. one or two others that that go on sort of in the background, and we're not sure. Um, right. But you can totally see because like Cat has had words with people who were on the ground before. Like we've seen right. that in the mess hall or whatever, right? or the break room or whatever. Um, yeah. But that was, but that was going to be my question because I couldn't figure out what Hilo and Lee, like mm. what was the grudge that they were fighting about? Like, right. I feel like and I then, have like, a handle. And like it does seem kind of charged. I feel like, doesn't like I have like, a handle on like the other fights that we see. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, and I it's like, know, I don't maybe, know that I can figure out that one. And maybe it's just that's there to show you that not all of them are that personal. Like maybe some of them are just sure. boxing matches. Like, and they seem pretty resolved at the end. Like they, yeah, they, they kind yeah. of congratulate each other and, you know. Right, right. Like some, and, yeah. and so I could see that being a thing where it's like, all right, you have that in there to show like not all of them are about like trying to kill each other. Like it's sure. like it could just be that like. They're just competitive you, people right, who want right. to like. Box. Right. Yeah. And there's like, I mean, I can't think of any reason, you know, why that would be like a grudge it, that they have to resolve. It just seems strange given that explanation by Adama that sure. Lee and Hilo are like the prominent first fight that we really see. Right. Well, and maybe, maybe what Adama means is more that like 
yeah, it can be grudges between people, but it could just be like letting off steam, like in general, like I just want to punch something and it doesn't necessarily have to be somebody I hate. It could just be, um, a good sparring partner and a way of like getting, you know, the sure. tension and the anger out. And so maybe they challenge each other cause they think it's going to be a good fight or something. Um, um, but you know, that's so speculative. So be before we go back, you know, further down into like some of the characters though, I do want to point out too, like, so you have the dance, you know, which is the below decks boxing matches, mm -hmm. but in the flashbacks, you also have like a literal dance. Yep. And on a like uh, little platform stage. Yeah. That kind of looks like a boxing right. ring. Right. Yeah. Like it could be. It but, kind of has like, a, you know, rope boundaries, just like a boxing ring does. But there's also, um, I mean, I know sort of the, the pretext for like the celebration and stuff is, um, you know, starting like, you know, uh, uh, breaking ground on this new whatever i forget even what it is that they break right down whatever what, bs what, they wrote yeah yeah whatever the right our new you know, tomorrow or Baltar, something Baltar, right and he seems so enthused by it yes um, but but the sense that that's also an event you know that adama sends people down to have a break from sort mm -hmm. of the tedium of you know being on watch full time. Sure. You know, for yeah. Cylons who may or may not ever find them. Right. Um, and yeah. so that, so that there is this, you know, sense of like, in these parallel stories, you know, however long they are between, I've heard, do we, do we actually see how long is we probably them? do. I'm not, I don't remember I don't, what the I don't time remember was. seeing um if it was like so many months or years or whatever oh but, i don't remember um i think they do but i don't remember it but the you know but that there is a sense of like you know there's this dance and whatever and then of course there's dance in in the sense of you know the doctor dances um, right there's plenty well, of and it's, dancing it's, going on in that respect at least and it's not it's not the first time that they've juxtaposed dancing with sex either or uh boxing with sex either I should say. Um, like, I remember noticing that on the rewatch after having seen this episode in the that opening section of Cobal's Last Gleaming when they're like cutting between different things. It's like they cut between a boxing match and then people sleeping with each other. And like sure. that being like, oh, like, look, they do that more than once. So like, <laughs> it's a theme. Know, it's a theme, a motif. Um <laughs> So, yeah, like, so I guess the equation of, like, you know, uh, the relationships have a combative element to them, you know, um, that, you know. Sure. And even, so this jumble of, you know, dancing and fighting and all the things that go along with that. Even, like, sort of Lee and Dee in their first, you know, things are, like, as sparring partners, right? Like. Right. Yes. I never thought of that. That's a good point. Um, so, yeah. So, like, there's a lot of little things like that that, you know, sort of link up the two mm -hmm. uh, uh, storylines, you know, from the mm -hmm. flashback and, and, you know, the present storyline. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, you know, all of all of that. Uh, 
applies, you know, sort of to the dance or the idea of the dance um, going on here, the the passion and anger and sexual emotional tension and nothing like spike and uh, Murphy at all. Um, but also the release of it all too, right? Like that's right. also part of it. Mm -hmm. um, so <laughs> having said all that, um, let's talk about the, so um, we were trying to come up with, you know, what's, what's a four-sided, um, you know, love, uh, uh, you know, shape that we could talk about. And we kind of went through, like you say, quadrilateral and then, you know, someone threw out trapezoid and rhombus and all right, that was me. Um, you know, whatever, whatever we decide on, uh, there's four of them. So there's Lee D Starbuck and Sam. Um, and so maybe, I mean, it's hard to kind of like, like, I don't want to follow it in the way it's sort of revealed in the episode. Cause that would right. be like even more complex like, than necessary, but we can talk about maybe yeah. all of the new Caprica flashback stuff and then talk about the galactica stuff and sure um uh and then we'll do the same for for some of the others but um yeah so new caprica like you have um you have lee and d who are i guess at that point kind of secretly seeing each other mm -hmm. um and and uh d has asked for a transfer to the pegasus mm -hmm. um which you know we don't know at the beginning that uh it'll be granted but then it ends up being granted um and with uh you know lee as as the pegasus commander like that's like oh you know which I guess this brings up a question that I had thought about before, but like, does like the, the, you know, colonial army structure not have any rules about like sleeping with your subordinates? Sure. <laughs> like, like officially, like I can see like if nobody knows about it and you mm -hmm. are doing it and like, you know, it would be frowned upon if, if like, but like, Lee and D get married and mm -hmm. she's still like his subordinate. So like yeah. that yeah. seem it seems like a somewhat, you know, uh well developed uh you know, colonial fleet like that would, would have some sort of rules about that. But um Yeah. Maybe Yeah, because... I mean I've I kind of feel like I'm sure there are rules. I'm equally sure that Adama chooses to sure. ignore well, them at certain times, you know, which we've seen before that like Well, that's certainly true. That he just in general that he ignores rules that he doesn't care to follow. Right. Um, right. Right. And, and that, I mean I kind of feel like this is like a it's the end of the world, you know, the population is what it is. Is he really going to deny them? Maybe somebody Admiral Kane might, but Adama's not going to. Um, sure. Um, so, so, yeah, is there a little bit of, you know, something uh, slightly under the table there? Sure, yeah. Um, 
Well, and then that brings up the question, like, does, does he know, like, are Lee and D not as secret as Lee and D think they are? Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, does Adama, like, grant that because he knows that what's going on? And, right, right. And, and so the granting comes, well, <laughs> I'm jumping ahead already. Like, the granting comes after the Adama-Roslin conversation about, like, let mm. people, you know, live to be happy, mm-hmm. you know, in the moment. Um, and all of that. So, right, right. you know, maybe, maybe there's like an aspect of that in, in the decision there too. Um, but anyway, so yeah, so back to like the beginning though, um, they don't know that and they're sort of being secret about it, but maybe not as secret as they think they are. And mm-hmm. um, like Starbuck is the first one to sort of call them out on it. Right. Like she comes up and is like, Oh, you know, um, I forget exactly. I don't think I wrote it down. Um, says something to them about, you know, not being, you know, basically showing some PDA there or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so then you have Starbuck and Sam who are very clearly together and, mm-hmm. you know, kind of being over the top. And so, uh, I mean, I don't know, like, I don't have a lot to say about sort of the lead up to it. Like, there's, um, you know, there's a party and, like, they're all, you know, they all go to it. We talked about the dancing and stuff. Mm-hmm. And D decides she's going to leave. Mm-hmm. Um, she's had enough of partying, but tells Lee to stay, that mm-hmm. he's the happiest, you know, that she's ever seen him. And why doesn't he stay and just continue to be happy and all that? And so, given what D says later in the flashback mm. about, like, at the end there, where she, you know, where she agrees to marry Lee, mm-hmm. and uh, clearly has no uh, illusions about, uh, you know, his feelings for Starbuck despite his many protestations. Like, do you think she knows that up front when she's telling him to stay? I, I think that she knows how he feels up front. I feel like what she doesn't realize is that he would actually act on those feelings. Mm. I think that's where she's holding him I don't want to say holding him to a higher standard of morality because it seems like it's it's the standard that Lee seems to project. Like he's always been this kind of like I I think more on the outside this kind of squeaky clean like upright do-gooder. Um but we've seen more privately that that's not necessarily you know mm. like like we saw like that weird relationship that he had with you know the prostitute where he got like kind of a little clingy with her simultaneous to having feelings for Kara and also kind of a relationship with D so it's like clearly he's not like the most faithful you know (laughs) lover there's ever been but I don't feel like he like that that's general knowledge like i feel like the the image of lee is like someone who maybe 
has feelings but doesn't act on them of like somebody who does the right thing and makes the good moral choice and everything. So I, I feel like that's my interpretation is that she might be aware that he has a thing for for Kara, but I don't know that she knows that what he's going to do. Um, and to jump ahead to the Galactica stuff, I feel like that is driven home when Kara says something about like when she's like, oh, you should get a room and Kara's like, oh, we already did that, been there, done that. And like, Dee's shocked by that, even though she knows all this stuff. It's the it's the confirmation that they've actually done stuff that surprises her, I think. It's mm -hmm. not that, it's not Lee's feelings that are surprising. It's like that he's actually acted on, on them, um, like behind her back. Um, right. So that's kind of, now like, so I don't think she's going to do any, I don't think she thinks he's going to do anything. Like I, you know, she might kind of wish that he wouldn't look at Kara quite that way or whatever. Um, but, you know, I think she's leaving him to like, I don't know, keep drinking and keep dancing. And that's as far as it's going to go. But that's, I don't know that sure. for sure. That's my interpretation. Sure. Um, yeah. So she tells him to stay and he stays and dances uh, and flirts, actually, I guess. Sorry, actually, you know what? Before we go on, I just wanted one other thing I thought of when you were um, talking earlier. Um, the, the part that you brought up where they're like making fun of the lingo of like, you know, breaking ground for a better tomorrow and how stupid and corny it all is like the kind of fact that like everyone does seem happy at the celebration like so as much mm. as they're making fun of it they're also like genuinely enjoying it like you know um I mean maybe because they're just all drunk but like it does seem like it's kind of a reminder that there was hope on New Caprica before everything came crashing down. And like, this is the one glimpse we get of there actually being some hope, um, you know, which I think goes to some of the stuff with what Rosalind talks about. So we can bring that up later. But um, before we got into the, the crashing down part, I thought I would mention <laughs> that. Sure. Uh, but yeah, they, they dance and they, um, Sam sort of drinks himself under the table. Mm, literally, um, yeah. And then uh, Lee and, and Kara sort of find an opportunity to be alone out in the middle of nowhere mm -hmm. by themselves, um, which leads to awkward discussion and sex. Um, mm -hmm. as naturally would happen in such a situation. Um, sure. Which is like, I mean, you know, not the first time where there's been sort of sexual feeling between the two of them, but like, you know. Right, but it always stopped. Yeah. You know, well, like, and they went all the way. Yeah. And like, there's that, like, there's, the fake out, right? Where you think like it's Kara and Lee and then it turns out to be right. Altar and you know, whatever. Um, so, 
certainly to the, the suggestion has been there. Um, you know, there was some stuff there and then like they returned with Sam and now like she's with him and, mm-hmm. um, you know, all of that kind of stuff. So, you know, it's just kind of been a back and forth almost, but not quite, you know, with yeah. the two of them. Um, so clearly when they're both in committed relationships is the best so, opportunity to, <laughs> yeah, this is the best time to do it. Uh, And there's a very sort of earnest discussion, at least on Lee's part, you get the sense that it's earnest mm. um, about, you know, what about us? <laughs> you know, like that sort of conversation, like right. what about the two of us? And, and, you know, Lee professing his love to the wilderness. I, I do remember like the first time I thought this, I'm like, wait, so does it do, do uh, Bill and Laura, <laughs> hear this like right are they yeah. just are they like not as far away as like maybe is yeah. implied um yeah. like they're just over right. the next like, ridge yeah yeah well they're too um, stoned to to really understand right. what's well, going on but that's the other aspect yeah but uh yeah yeah you know there is that sense of like well they're both kind of out there in the wilderness and maybe they're not that far away from each other sure um, but yeah like lee professes his love and starbucks you know, I mean, her reaction is kind of like, oh, my gosh, this is weird. And, you know, she's a mm-hmm. bit incredulous about it all. Um, but he sort of convinces her to do it, too, mm-hmm. which is like not something you would expect her to do. Um, sure. That's not that like shouting how you feel into mm-hmm. the wide open air is not really like Starbucks motif. Like, no. Lee, we've seen can be emotional and and. Right. whatever before so like that's not necessarily that surprising but um no but is... i think you you the, he does have to convince her and i don't think she ever does it with quite the abandon that he does sure. you know there's still well, like it is it it's extreme for her but there is still that that guardedness and you know um and that's why i mean that it's earnest at least on his part like sure because you definitely get the sense that he's in, at least in those moments, he's all in. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, she t- needs convincing. Like, she's not all in, but she does it sort of on a whim. And, mm-hmm. um, but again, like, that on a whim makes it not earnest, right? So, like, mm-hmm. the question becomes... But, but there is a more tender moment between the two of them, where they both... Mm-hmm say i love you again lee first and she's mm-hmm. responding to it so you know read into that what you will but it's mm-hmm. you know it is what it is so um the next morning she gets up at maybe not the break of dawn but shortly thereafter uh and walks back into town and and sees sam still passed out and sort of has a heart to heart with Ty. Right. Um, Always the best decision making yeah. process is to get I mean, advice from Ty. <laughs> they continue to have a weird sort of relationship. Um, now, is it true that th- this this isn't actually the first time they've had a drink together, right? 
Well, like I, I mean, I, I feel swear. like they've had a drink in the same space as each other, but I feel like what you're getting is the that the the unexplained link between how do they go from not being able to stand each other to actually kind of being friends, and there's like there's a half step in here that it's filling in that like they're actually like somewhat able to be civil to each other. Yeah. Um, I feel like there's a very early episode. Aren't they like, they're like standing basically nose to nose and don't they like have like a, a drink together? After, oh, well, like, after they drink she out like of the same cup or punches something. him, she brings him a drink. Yeah. Um, but it's sort of a like peacemaking, like, well, know. yeah, but I mean, all right. Like, I guess maybe we can argue semantics over what it means to have a drink together, but sure. All right. Anyway. So, uh, all that said, um, she ends up apparently off off uh, off screen. She ends up proposing to Sam, and they like do a little rush marriage. Mm-hmm. Um, much to Lee's surprise, who uh, wakes up all alone out in the wilderness, <laughs> um, comes back. Uh, Apparently learns from his dad about their marriage and then like immediately goes and like sees D and, you know, kisses her and says, let's get out of here. Um, But then there's like a little thing where, you know, Sam and Starbuck come up and there's like forced congratulations Mm -hmm. and, (laughs) you know, all of the all of the things you would expect between people who just slept together the night before and and now right. are right. back with their uh significant others um well and and sam totally not the same as d whereas d like you said has no illusions about things um sam is totally oblivious you know he's sure. like doesn't seem to have any clue whatsoever that there's any awkwardness um with lee at all so um sure you know um i not that that makes i'm not saying that makes any of it better or worse like you can argue which is the crueler <laughs> you know which one is crueler to their partner but like you know um it's just different you know sam and kara have a, a slightly different relationship than um than d and lee do i think yeah yeah, Sam is sort of more uh innocent maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh in that way. Um So yeah. Uh So yeah, so like you said, like D doesn't have any sort of illusions. So um they're in uh the raptor and on the ride way, you know, back to Pegasus and, uh, Lee sort of starts talking marriage. Right. And, or at least, you know, deepening their commitment at that point. Um, and so these kind of like, yeah, what, what brought this on again? Like exactly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, well, you know, Sam and Starbuck got married Oh, so they're having a two for one sale? Like what you know, what <laughs> like she's very Yeah. You know, 
sort of cynical about like this is not like like sitting in the cockpit of a raptor is not like really the proposal that she probably Mm. would have planned out for herself um well and just that it's like so obvious like right you know like well and that's the other thing is like it's obvious to her but even there like is it like does lee know his own feelings here or is he Mm -hmm. sort of being willfully obtuse or Mm -hmm. you know like what you know what's kind of going on with him and she's trying to sort of draw it out of him it seems and then kind of just gets pretty blunt about it (laughs) like Mm -hmm. uh ultimately and just says uh you know uh one day you're gonna you're going to leave me for Starbucks. And, you know, he sort of protests and, and she says, but you know what? I'll marry you anyway. Mm. Um, and actually, so this is where not talking about Bill and Laura first actually kind of comes into play because mm-hmm. she mirrors very much Laura's sentiment, which mm-hmm. is, you know, uh, who knows how long we're going to live. You know, I want to live my life like every moment is going to be my last. And so she says she'll marry him and will love and cherish him uh, until the Cylons come back or until Kareth Race walks back into your life. And, you know, that's, I don't, I don't know that I would have that same outlook. Sure. <laughs> I'm actually, I'm pretty sure I wouldn't have that same outlook. Fair um, enough. And, and, you know, I don't, I mean, happy to hear your thoughts, but, you know, for me that, that, even that idea of like, I know this isn't going to be forever, but I'll wait until, you know, it hurts and then, mm-hmm. you know, deal with it then. That kind of, I don't know, that's an interesting perspective to me. Um, mm-hmm. But for Dee, it seems, it seems like she's willing to do that because she, she will have some level of happiness. Uh so I guess good for her. Um, yeah, I mean, no, that kind of, that's kind of similar to how I feel like, would I do that? No, I don't think so. But like, you kind of can't fault her for doing her thing. You love kind of saying like, she knows what she wants. She's clear about it, you know? Yeah. Um, doesn't mean that it won't be difficult later on. And I obviously she acknowledges that she's not, pretending about the way things are and just kind of saying you know that uh the 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 whatever happiness she gets in the moment is worth whatever you know pain might come later on which this is an extreme example of that but I think that's a generally a fairly admirable sentiment like I admire people who can because I feel like I'm so dictated by like, you know, fear of what might happen, you know, later on, that it's, you know, sometimes it's kind of like, impressive to see someone who can just live in the moment and totally, you know, embrace the the present. Um, but then, of course, we're getting the future juxtaposed with this side by side so yeah. you can make an argument about as to whether that really was the right decision and does d even think that was the right decision at the end of this episode um sure well let's talk about that because 
we do get that juxtaposition, like you said. And um, when when push comes to shove, like like DCs very quickly at the dance, um, i.e. the boxing match. Uh, mm. DC is very quickly what's going on. Yeah. Um, and kind of goes through a couple of different stages of not demanding, but sort of begging Lee, or not even really begging, but outright telling him that she doesn't want him to fight because she knows, she knows what it means symbolically. Mm-hmm. And there's like the story of like when I was in school and like the little boys pushed me down, like my grandma always said it was cause they liked me and like, yeah. You know, again, Lee's insistence on this isn't anything. It's just old business that, you know, mm-hmm. whatever, blah, blah, blah. And Lee, like, Dee's not, uh, you know, confused at all or, or disillusioned at all about it. Mm-hmm. Like, she knows yeah. exactly what this means. Like, yeah, my favorite, she, my favorite line is when Sam says it looks like they're trying to kill each other. And she says, from one perspective, like, right. That's one interpretation. Not what it right? looks like to me. Yeah. 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 Um, um, yeah. And like you brought up before, like, why are you two even fighting? Why don't you just get a room? And Kara's like, been there, done that. Like, mm-hmm. and then Lee's like trying to be like, oh, well, it was a long time ago, a long time ago. Uh, yeah. Like it was the day you asked, D right. to marry you like right right <laughs> or the the day before i guess technically mm-hmm. right like so just that you know again like d's not disillusioned at all but at the same time she does try to prevent it mm-hmm. and it's not quite so cavalier as she yeah. you know tries to play it off in the the raptor and i mean you know in the raptor it's oh we're gonna get married and love each other and you know someday maybe yeah you know you you know the cylons will come back or kara will come back and whatever blah blah but there you know it's just theoretical then but now when it's you know actually happening she's sort of trying to bargain with him or or um you know saying to him don't fight her and and you know just walk away and be with me and that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. And it's not as sort of cut and dry as she yeah. well, was hoping before. Back to my idea that like, maybe she knew his feelings, but wouldn't have imagined his actions. Um, it's like, I feel like D maybe would have expected when she says like, I'll, I'll love you until Kara comes back. I think she might have expected Lee to do what he originally wanted to do, which is break up with her, you know, and say, hey, Mm -hmm. I'm going to go be with Kara now. And that's, you know, that's the end. Whereas, like, I think, again, the the shocking part is that he doesn't do that admirable stand up thing. He sneaks around and does it behind her back and doesn't tell her about it and then uses that as kind of emotional leverage to get her to marry him. Like, I think that's the part that is it not in keeping with Lee's image as a loyal person, you know? Um, sure. Like, and that's probably to me, like if I had to guess that would be the bit that is most upsetting to her is like, like, yeah, she knows how she, she can't change how Lee feels about Kara, but maybe if she asks him not to fight her, he won't mm-hmm. out of loyalty. 
Um, but he doesn't. He refuses to do what she asks and does it anyway. And it's like, it's not enough that Kara has his affection, but like, he doesn't even like, you know, uh, I don't know, honor his commitment to D beyond that, to like, just be upfront and tell her the truth or, you know. So, yeah. yeah, I think, I think his willingness to cross over those lines is what really like gets at her more than anything. Sure. Um, and so like, I mean, yeah, they, they fight. It, I don't know how much we need to go into the details of the fight. It's dirty and mean and Kara totally breaks the rules all the time. Um, shocking. Shocking. Um, although like there is a part of like a part of her that I feel like is um, a bit uh, masochistic in this episode. Like, Oh yeah. She, she is kind of, and, and even the fighting dirty is, to get him to stop pulling his punches, right? To like give me the pummeling that I deserve. Like, you know, sure. maybe maybe there's shared blame, but I think this is Kara's kind of apology <laughs> of like, you know, here I'll let you rather than like it being a totally mutual thing, there's some element of her wanting to get beat up too. Um and like so apology, getting him to apology to Lee, but also um, reparations or whatever you want to call it to to Sam too. Like sure. she sort of wrongs both of them, yeah, in the same way. <laughs> or well, right. I mean, different right. actions, but like at the same kind of time, right? right. Um, yeah. Well, and and I I I want to throw in D there too and say, all right, let D enjoy getting Kara beat up, but like, it doesn't help D because it it ultimately just makes it about Lee and Kara again. Like, yeah. it's not about Kara getting punished; it's about the two of them being together and yeah. reconciling and dancing again. And you know, and by the end, and they're just hugging the and, hugging. Totally, and kind kind of dancing, yeah. like kind of slow dancing yeah. in a way, yeah. right? Like, and it's just just like yeah. super awkward. And Sam flees while D stays and like watches the whole thing, yeah. which again is like totally perfect for the characters. Sam is like, "All right, I can't watch this. I'm out of here." And right. D just stares, you know, right. and like she can't do anything to stop it, but she's gonna witness the whole yeah. messy thing. Well, um, and then you know the sort of statements of you know i missed you and you know all of mm -hmm. that like you know again like this idea that like now they're back together in some way but not really like mm -hmm. you know i guess it remains to be seen but it's just that you know that yeah. aspect of there's certainly some sort of restoration of the relationship that they had before but to what extent and mm -hmm. how that manifests you know, yeah, is still TBD, I guess. Yeah. Um, so yeah, all right. So I don't know that we need to spend as much time 
with Bill and Laura because first of all they're like hi most of it um <laughs> and so like you get lots of sort of yeah. conversation that one might have when right. you're high about like the stars and staring up at them and all of that sure. um although it is funny when they're like talking to Gaeta and and Rosin's like holding in the yeah <laughs> um, and he's like boring them with all of his like yeah. oh let me tell you about like the infrastructure here on New Caprica and like hiding their doobies it's hilarious yeah um so yeah. uh no, that part does make me laugh um so yeah so like I mean that's kind of sweet and they're you know kind of romantic and you know they go out and you know smoking while laying on the ground like what are the implications? I mean, I don't, I don't think we're necessarily led to believe that they did what, you know, Lee and Starbuck did, but there's the imagery there of the sort of post-coital, sure. uh, you know, whatever, but, um, you know, certainly intimate as far mm -hmm. as, you know, they spend the night together and, and are talking and, and sort of, um, you know, I think again, there's the the thread, uh, or the the correlation between what Laura says about, mm -hmm. um, you know, maybe we should just enjoy this, and you know, Adama's thinking like the here and now, like in the moment, and she is talking about that in a way, but also like the bigger picture of, yeah, you know, just enjoy being on this planet as long as it lasts. Maybe the Cylons come back, maybe they don't, but for now, right now, we've got a break. And so there is that sense, you know, of just, yeah, just enjoy what you can. And that's what leads Bill to give Tyrrell and Callie, you know, to allow them to muster out so that they can have their baby on the planet. And mm -hmm. um, presumably, like, we don't get, it's not as direct, but presumably that's, he, why he also gives D permission to transfer to Pegasus, right? Like, cause it's, it's after that, that D tells Lee that they have permission, I believe. Yeah. Right. If I'm remembering the time. Uh, yeah, I guess I don't really remember. Like, cause it's the next morning, right? Like when, right, right. when they yeah, see yeah. each other again. Um, so yeah. So, you know, that whole conversation is sort of what leads to that, which of course is also why the battle stars are poorly manned when the mm -hmm. Cylons show up. So like, right. There's some, some of that going on too. Um, well, and I think not that Roslyn is wrong about her opinion or her worldview. And it's not even a unique one. Cause we see D says pretty much the same thing, but also I feel like, the extent to which Rosalind's coming from a very particular place of having escaped a terminal illness, you know, so it has this other sure. layer for her of embracing life because it might be your last in the sense of she's been yeah. through that yeah. death experience. Um, uh, so giving that as advice to Adama as to how to handle his crew Again, not that that's wrong what he did. I mean, he makes a choice and there are consequences. Um, but, you know, I, it, it's sort of like 
Rosalind has a very particular perspective on life and death that is very, sure. I think, hard to apply to like, you know, a general case, I guess. Um, yes. Uh, escape from death and, you know, a deadly disease and also escape from responsibility of mm. office and sure. Yeah. You know, all of that stuff too. So, you know, she's not a leader anymore. Right. You know, Baltar is now and right. Adama still is, but she's not. So there's also not that she lacks responsibility because she's still a teacher and you know, whatever, but she doesn't have the same level of, right. you know, leadership and, and, you know, the responsibility that comes with that. Um, that no, and I think that's a good point. You see her totally like unburdened here. That's very different than how we normally, like she would never be this, um, you know, I don't know, new agey normally. I, like that kind of, like normally I feel like we see Rosalind as super practical and super utilitarian in terms of like, she does what she needs to do for the good of everybody, no matter if it you like it or not. She does what she thinks is has to be done. That's not this perspective of, regardless of the consequences, just embrace and live your life um, mm -hmm. and, and seek your happiness as sort of your first goal and everything. Sure. Um, um, so it's and, like, yeah, maybe that's the effect of giving up the presidency and being like, oh, this is kind of nice. Like, I don't have to but feel responsible for the fate of the world anymore. It's also that responsibility that is why Adama pulls Tyrrell up into the ring, right? And that thing of, like, like kind of, in a way... What Adama says at the end. So, okay, so he pulls, like, Adama witnesses Tyrrell, you know, being lax with his men and letting them drink and enjoy yep. the fights without fixing up the planes. And uh, Adama doesn't like that, so he calls Tyrrell out and they have a right. brawl, and Tyrrell wins in the end, you know, after Adama baits him for a bit. And then you know, Adama sort of stands up and does his speechifying. And, you know, the result of that is, uh, so he says, when you stand on this deck, you, you be ready to fight or you dishonor the reason why you work here. And remember this, when you fight a man, he's not your friend. Same goes when you lead men. I forgot that once. I let you get too close, all of you. I drop my guard. I let this crew and this family, this band, <clears throat> and we paid this... And we paid the price in lives. That can't happen again. And that's, I mean, based on the paralleling of the stories, that seems to me to be that decision of letting Tyrrell and symbolically the rest of his people, you know, go do what they want and be happy. <laughs> so in a way, that's almost a rebuke. Not a rebuke of Rosalind, but like of that idea of that like, like, let's all just be happy for now. And it's like, well, no, that's what ended up, you know, causing problems and, you sure. know, allowing us to be held captive or, you know, at least some of us to be held captive by the sound, which is true and isn't true. Like, I, I feel like, like meant so many things, like there's an element of truth to that, but I don't think it's the complete truth either. Like, mm -hmm. 
Adama isn't solely responsible for what happened. Mm-hmm. As any person isn't solely responsible. Um, and yes, maybe there's things that he could have or should have done, you know, to require uh, more people to stay or, you know, not let his softer side get the better of him or whatever you think's happened. Um, and, and like, he's not wrong to say that, you know, when you lead men, like, he's not your, you know, they're not your friends, like, that you have to sometimes make those hard decisions. And in this specific case, Chief should have, you know, said to what, who, his mechanic, who, whatever his name is, I forget, um, you know, no, you, you can join the dance when, you know, you finish your work. Um, but at the same time, you can't be that way all the time. <laughs> so like, I don't know. I like, I, I feel like, yes, he is right in a sense. And also he's not right in a sense. I don't know exactly where to delineate that, but sure. I don't know. Uh, what what are your thoughts? Um, no, I mean, I think I kind of agree. Like, um, were they caught off guard because they just took a break and, you know, s- stopped being as vigilant? Yes. Did they need a break? Yes. <laughs> like, could they have gone on much longer the way that they had been without some sort of break? I don't know. You know, maybe. But, um by the end of season two there, they're getting pretty ragged and pretty run down. Um, and so, you know, uh, for all the consequences, good and bad, um, they, they voted a certain way as a collect, a collective group and made a decision to settle down and take a break. Um, and like you said, it wasn't just Adama, it was the group consensus that decided this. Um, so it's a shared responsibility. Um, and I think this episode shows that there were at least some happy times or the potential for happy times, that it, New Caprica wasn't all hell, um, which mostly we see that it, like that's mostly what we see is like, it cuts immediately to one year later when everybody hates it. And then the Cylons come and everybody's even more miserable. Whereas mm-hmm. I feel like this shows that that doesn't seem like that was everything. Like there was a period where this seemed like a good decision and people were, you know, happy. Um, so I don't think you can even just say that it was a terrible, you know, it wasn't purely terrible what happened. Um, yeah. You know, so yeah. Um, but, you know, Adama feels like he's learned some sort of lesson. And so that's his takeaway is, um, you know, don't get too cozy. Don't, you know, let people uh, too close or don't let them slack off. And, uh, you know, this the family has to stay together. Um, and that's it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so I think, uh, I think we're good then because I don't know that there's much point in pummeling the topic (laughs) any further. Um, 
All right. Well, so next week we'll be back with some uh, Angel and uh, mm -hmm. some more BSG. Sounds so. good. See you then. Mm -hmm.